Before we start, I'd like to acknowledge the Gadigal people of the Eora Nation, the traditional owners of the land that we make this podcast. And I extend that respect to any Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people that are listening to this episode. Yama. Hello, I'm Randy Walden, podcaster, writer, TV host, and you might have even heard me talk about sex before, but this is Talking Frank. This podcast is going to cover every nook and cranny of Australia's sex life, from the head spins of modern dating to unexpected fluids and even STI checks. We're going to get frank about it. For this episode, I want to give you the 101 on STIs and BBVs. What is it? Stay tuned to find out. Roughly 90,000 people in Australia are diagnosed with chlamydia each year, and around two-thirds of those are young people under 30. Come on, let's be frank about STIs. Radio. so this episode is a little bit different. Mm. I'm joined by not one, but two guests. Jack Miller, who you might recognise from Married at First Sight, Although that's not his best claim to fame. He's also a DJ and a con- content creator <laughs> and, and just an overall good bloke. Appreciate it. Thank um, you. I don't think you remember me from the Logies, do you? You're at the Logies? Yeah, we chatted. I um I had one too many beverages mm. at the Logies. I remember. Did we, did we have a good chat? <laughs> it's fine. Oh, God, that's funny and so embarrassing. <laughs> uh, and also on this episode, we have unprecedented access to Dr. Claire Bormer, who is the medical director at Family Planning, and she's here to answer all of our burning questions. So burning. No pun, in, no, no pun <laughs> intended. <laughs> Uh, But first up on Talking Frank, we have uh, listeners from our podcast or people from our Talking Frank community that send in little voice notes or messages about things that they might have an issue with or things that they want um, some advice for. And so what we do is we play them. And at any point, if you want to say something or it sparks something that you want to address, just pop your hand up and we can discuss. Is there like a safe word we need to say just to stop it on the spot or? We can come up with one. Yeah. What do you want? Mm. Let's go red light, green light. You happy with that? Sure. Great. <laughs> Let's sure. go. So um, this one has been sent in by Alice. Mad. Okay, so I'm here to talk about my experience with an STI. So I had chlamydia when I was 21. I caught it from a random guy, my first ever one night stand. So I've been with boyfriends before in the past and, you know, didn't think anything of not necessarily wearing a condom because I was on the pill. And yes, my first ever one night stand, he pulled the whole, oh, I don't have a condom. So red light. Big one for you. Not into that. Why? Because he's well, just, obvious, I mean, obvious reasons. No, but, but I don't like the, the idea that he's just sat there and lied about the, I don't have a condom. Like, yeah, I'll yeah. just go with it. It'll be fine. I just know that that's coming. Yeah. Yeah. If you're going into sex without being prepared, you yeah. probably don't want to be sleeping with that person, right? Yeah. I guess the only other thing is she identifies this as her first one night stand, but we know that people can get STIs in long-term relationships and mm. anyone who's having sex can get an STI. So just mm. to, to flag, you know, we think of more risk maybe with a new partner and, new, yeah. you know, and anyone who's had sex can get an STI. Mm. And do you think if you've not had sex before that having a little kit or being prepared yourself is a good way to go into mm. 
I think it's a lot harder to think about negotiating those difficult situations if you're getting intimate with someone and they throw in at you, hey, actually, I don't have a condom, let's keep going. Mm. I think it's a lot harder to be assertive and know how to respond when you haven't been in that situation before. So certainly thinking about whether you want to carry some condoms as well, you know, Mm. not that it should be just one person's responsibility. I was about to say that. But having a bit of a a plan to keep yourself safe uh, and probably nice to think about that before you're in the situation could help. I agree, but that's why I always carry one because you never know if the mm. other person's going to have one or not. Do you not. have, like, on the edge of your wallet, is there just, like, the ring on the back that's just been warning because you've had a condom in well, your wallet for so long? <laughs> no, because I don't carry cash, so I don't have a wallet. <laughs> but uh, back in the day, I did, and I had one of those, like, little dicky ones that had, like, it was tiny. Check the what? expiry if it's been in there uh, a yeah. long time. Too. <laughs> if it's left an impression on the leather, it's Maybe time to go. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but I unzipped it to, like, pull out cash to pay for a coffee and curled up inside of the note was a condom and it just That's landed right. between me and the barista and there was this like <laughs> western movie stare down where I was like that's mine sorry um and just like slid it back over to myself <laughs> really slowly and nonchalantly yeah. whilst like looking up <laughs> <laughs> sorry I'm always prepared um all right let's keep going let's yeah. listen I guess the process of finding out that I had an STI at the time I had no idea what was going on Um, I was symptomatic. I had to basically pee every two minutes. And I remember telling my mum that I had diabetes because that's what I was studying at uni and... Red light. I really find it interesting that it is still to this day a taboo topic. Well, I don't know how old this girl is, so... Mm. But she said it was when she was 21, but she sounds pretty young, so I'm assuming it's within recent history. Mm. That's still taboo to this day to even hide that from your parents. I don't think I would tell my parents. Oh, I... I think that that is what needs to change, in my opinion. I mean, it depends on the relationship you have with your parents. It probably depends but... on your parents too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I was going to say this is sort of a two-way, but I think that two-way street should be more of an open conversation. Like yeah. it really sounds like she was, A, she didn't know anything about any sort of STI. Like she was really confused. And to the point that she told her parents she has diabetes. I was going to say that's a huge lie to keep yeah. up. You've got that for life now. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And I guess in a way she was lucky that she realised she had it early because she had symptoms. We yeah. know that lots of people don't get symptoms. Really? So, um, mm. No doubt we'll talk about STI screening in this section and I guess part of that's because it's not always going to the toilet a lot that will flag for you that you've got an STI. I love that you're edging us into what's to come. Yeah, I know. Is that a little warmer? <laughs> let's, let's go. I had absolutely no idea it could have been an STI. So I went to the doctor and got a urine and blood test to check for it. And when it came back positive, I was just absolutely mortified. Mm. I remember I called my best friend at the time. She told her mum. And then, of course, the mum told the other mum in the friendship group. Um, the problem with that Red was light. that... <laughs> they were gossiping about these girls. How awful is that? That's horrible. It's a tough experience. Yeah. yeah. But also for like, it, it, she goes on to say that like that 25 people knew that she had um, uh. an, an STI that was like her mom, her mum's friends. Friend's mum, her friend's mum's yeah, mum. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's just. I don't blame her now for saying she had diabetes. But <laughs> yeah. No, 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 no. I don't feel I guess, bad. <laughs> I guess you've got to really think when you've got these. Uh, situations with something that's got some stigma around it still who you feel most safe to talk to and Mm. and pick safe people. Is there any shame from doctors when you go in? Well, there shouldn't be. You know, as a doctor myself, I like to think of this as any other part of healthcare and people can be really embarrassed coming in and Mm. 
I like to congratulate people on having the guts to do it sometimes because especially the first time you go in for an STI check mm. and we often ask some personal questions and, and, you know, that's really to work out your risk and, and what tests we should be doing and mm. when we should be doing them on you. So I try to preference. That's why I'm going personal and if I ask anything uncomfortable, let me know. But, yeah, we're trained to look at the body and treat the body and keep you well and I'm not there to judge. Day in, day out, we see people with all sorts of embarrassing conditions <laughs> or that may be considered embarrassing and we just see it as another part of healthcare and mm. another infection that needs treatment. Well, that's the um, thing. That's your job at the end of the day. It's yeah. and, and personally, I don't think, especially talking about sex, like that's, it's not uncommon. It's not like everything is like, like you're doing something weird and no, it's yeah. nothing like that. Well, you said in the beginning of this voice memo that you would tell your parents. Yeah. She told her parents and it really backfired. <laughs> Well, let's listen to the end of this. Okay. Uh, oh, you don't want to address that you were wrong? No, I <laughs> not often am. Okay. One of the mums that was told was the mother of the guy that I was sleeping with at the time. And this guy was also involved with his ex. So by the time the friend knew, the mums knew, the ex-girlfriend, her friends knew, at this point there was like 25 people at least who knew of my STI. And I was just so embarrassed and mortified by all this. I felt so dirty and slutty, like I had done something wrong because I had chlamydia. So the reality, I guess, of actually, I guess, fixing chlamydia at the time, it was literally just a quick course of antibiotics and it was so easy. But at the time, like I was so embarrassed. It's funny though, I talk to my friends about it now in my late 20s and it's funny how many people have had an STI and just never spoken about it. It was just at the time you thought, oh, I'm the only person this has ever happened to. But mm. literally all, most of my friends have been in some sort of similar situation. I mean, that story is pretty amazing considering it was one of the first times that she had unprotected sex. Or that we see people who have that situation mm. or, you know, within what they thought was a monogamous relationship with one person and they didn't know what was happening. And this, you know, can happen to anyone who has sex. Sex is a very normal thing. She had a really bad run. That's a pretty extreme example of shaming and mm. stigma associated with an infection. Uh, yeah. I think often the diagnosis is a big shock. That societal stigma and, and shame, they sometimes feel it. But then we had to have on a bit further and say, you know, I do this every day. Mm. People are getting this every day. We just don't talk about it. Yeah. You know, yeah. you've got mates who've probably had this. They just probably haven't told you. Mm. You know, normalising it and normalising how easy, they, you know, some infections are really easy to treat. I think another thing that stops people from going and getting an STI test is the fear of the unknown of, like, what's going to happen. Mm. So should we get into a bit of a 101 on STIs? Yeah. Well, then let's get into it. I'm ready. Uh, I mean, let's be frank, STIs are super common, um, but testing among certain demographics, Jack, particularly yours, is not super common. Mm. Do you talk to your friends about STIs or testing much? I wouldn't say it's a common conversation, like Mm. saying, oh, when's the last time you got tested? But definitely, um, uh, especially with a couple of my friends, would just be like, oh, you've been with a couple of new partners. It's part of your regular yearly checkup kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Like if you're getting your bloods done, for most people go and get a blood test every year. They want to check up that they're healthy and well. And my friends are pretty open about saying, oh yeah, got an STI check just to double check that everything's all good. Mm-hmm. If it is, great. I know a doctor will probably say every new sexual partner you should get checked. Although that's probably... We can confirm it here. 
there's times in life when you're a bit more at risk, especially if you're entering something new that's a yep. bit more of a long-term thing or something and you maybe, you know, not thinking about using the condoms all the time anymore with one person. Certainly mm. it's a good thing when you've got cha- partner change or multiple mm. partners to have a have a look at your when your last STI check was. Mm. Mm. And no, but to kind of answer your question as well is, yeah, it is probably still a slightly taboo topic. Mm. I've got some friends that would openly talk about it and have openly talked about it when they've caught something they've just told me straight off the bat. I've been like, oh, like, what in did a, you have to do? In a positive way or a negative way? Neither positive nor negative. Right. It was like, I got this issue. This is how I fixed it. It was just, you know, chlamydia, antibiotic pills or whatever it is and gone. Yeah. And I was just like, oh, okay, interesting. Like, you're all good? Yeah, all good. Sweet. Mm. Uh, this is maybe a loaded question, but have you ever had an STI? Oh, so loaded. No, the answer is no. Okay. Me being the prepared gentleman that I am, I was wearing protection. I did get... Uh, once I got a message saying you've slept with someone, blah, blah, blah. Mm. Um, for anyone that is wondering, listening in, you can remain anonymous. I think the government has some sort of system and you put their number in, right. sends them a text message saying you may have slept with someone with something. Uh, go and get yourself checked out. Um, and then another one, which I actually really appreciated this. I was sleeping with someone for a period of time. Uh, it turned out that she uh, had caught something along the lines and she actually sent me a message. She was like, hey, by the way, this is a bit... Crappy for me to have to tell you, but this has happened. You should probably go get checked. I was like, super mature. Like, just so great that she was confident enough to be like, absolutely. Whatever, it doesn't matter. It could have been me, it could have been you. Go get yourself tested. Yeah. 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 It's it's fully like there's no judgment involved, in my opinion. I don't think there should be any judgment Mm. involved in that sort of conversation. You know, that is just a, by the way, I'm a little bit sick. Go and get checked out. Make sure you're not sick too. Yeah. 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 Like, look at all the people around the world at the moment just wearing masks because people are sick. It's pretty much, I know, obviously a different demographic, but it's the same thing. Well, a different body part. Different body part, (laughs) yeah. I mean, it's essentially the same thing. People get sick and that's all it is. Yeah. Claire, what are the most common STIs? So some STIs we collect more intense data on. So some STIs are notifiable. And so the public health unit gets an idea about how many new diagnoses are coming for those. And we know chlamydia is the most common notifiable STI in Australia. We know other STIs are really common too, things like herpes virus, but that isn't, it's trickier to diagnose. Mm. Not everyone who has been exposed and has herpes gets symptoms. So some people think they've never had an STI and may be a carrier of those ones. Is that the same with a lot of STIs, the symptoms-wise? So, no, a lot of STIs we can test for with screening when you have no symptoms. So that's why we sort of recommend right. for going and getting a test once every so often mm. to check whether you're carrying something because that's why they transmit so well <laughs> is that you don't realise you've got it. Yeah. Obviously, if you had a big rash, your chances are you wouldn't be going and having sex with another person mm. and, and you'd be getting treatment. But, yes, yeah, certain STIs, like the herpes virus, really only can be diagnosed with certainty if you get lesions on the genital site because otherwise I can't tell whether the herpes you're carrying sometimes is oral herpes or genital herpes. Right. Mm. Um, and the blood tests aren't the best test either. Okay. So there are some tests, unless you're a person who gets symptoms, are harder to tell. But we know these are very common. And so how often should you be getting tested if it's if it's beyond just with a new partner? So I guess there's times when you're most at risk or more at risk, so thinking about when you have partner change or multiple partners. There are some general guidelines, uh, you know, People under the age of 30 are more at risk of STIs. So generally there's some blanket recommendations to get a test at least once a year if you're in that age group and you're sexually active or if you're a man who's having sex with men, there's a recommendation to get one every three months. But, of course, then you've got to look at the individual in front of you and if they are in a long-term relationship with one person or aren't sexually active at the moment, then maybe doing that that frequently is overkill and not needed. Mm. And similarly, if you're 
having lots of sex with lots of new partners, maybe you want to get it a bit more frequently for mm. your circumstance. So usually a discussion with your healthcare worker can kind of help work out the best timing or presenting at those times, like you said, when you've got a new partner or mm. that, you know, you're probably a bit more at risk. Let's get a checkup and see where I'm up yeah, to. Right. Mm. And, and so Claire, what's involved in a sexual health check? Can you talk us through what we can expect? Yeah, and and let me say I can get that it can be a bit daunting, especially if you haven't had one before, but usually you go into a clinic, the healthcare worker will ask you some pretty personal questions and we usually preface that and explain why we're asking them. And, and then really it's important to know if you don't have any symptoms that you're worried about, we don't need to examine you. You don't need to be examined by the clinician. You can go into the bathroom, collect your own swabs or urine test, go and get a blood test taken and, and hand them back and get them sent away. So it's, it's pretty straightforward, not too invasive. If you've got symptoms, however, that you're particularly concerned about, it's usually a good idea to go in for a face-to-face consultation and and get those looked at because sometimes they're diagnosed really by having a look at what the lesion looks like. Sometimes you've got um, a spot there that you hadn't noticed before but was just actually a normal variant or not an STI at all. So, or a freckle. Or Who a freckle knows? or you might have another rash that's not an STI rash, it's an eczema or something else. So it's yeah. really good to have a look at those spots. And then I think the other point to mention is that they might ask that personal history to get a sense about whether there was a particular event that you're most worried about. Mm. If you had, you know, your first one night stand last night or unprotected sex and you're a bit worried about what that means, um, it might might be too early to get the test result back mm. that it confirms whether or not you caught chlamydia that night. It can take some time from being exposed to an infection until the test result tells us, um, gives us a good understanding about what's going on. So we might get you to come back sometimes and, and do another test or recommend repeat testing after a period of time to make sure we catch anything. The amount of times I thought an ingrown hair was oh, shit, something. That's funny. Yeah. I I think yeah. I've gone, yep, this is it. I'm ready. I've got it. I've got yeah. one. You know how I'm nice dying. it is to reassure someone that it's an ingrown hair, hair and they just think you're the best person ever. How many ever. times has that happened to you? As a doctor, ingrown hair, go. There'd be lots of lots of spots, lots of ingrown hairs, lots and of freckles. other things that aren't um, STIs that people sort of – it's a hard spot to look at at yourself, hey, and it's get your mirror or whatever, but it, it can be really tricky and often you've That's never looked that. there before. So it's nice to know what normal is and have a look if you're uh, not sure. But yeah. also it can be helpful for someone to have a look for you and, and reassure you and have a good mm. sense about what's going on. Um, just to go back over quickly what to expect in a test, um, pee in a cup, throat swab, potentially vaginal or anal swab and a blood test. So it really depends on which group, risk group you're in and what sort of, you know, what sort of infections sort of are going on having. in your area, what sort of sex mm. you're having, the contact you're having. Um, you may be asked to do a throat swab or a rectal swab as well as um, sort of a urine in a cup or a, a vaginal swab. It really depends on, on what sort of contact. And the myth that your swab, the urethra, is oh, busted, yeah, that right? One. If you've got a lot of discharge coming out, we might take a swab of that discharge to try and get a culture and, and get a bit more information about what you've got, but it does not have to go okay, all the way down. That's, that's the, we're not, you know, there's not the the reverse umbrella sort of story that you get told. Like oh, yeah, when with you, the you know, thing with like, the bar hooks yeah, on it. Oh, like, goodness. Like no. This, no, no, this is, this is, I remember, this, that's so interesting <laughs> to hear from a doctor just going like, oh, what are you talking about? No, 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 no. Yeah, what, what doctor have you been to? He's been putting things everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> but what you were saying, I remember that was the thing that went around, like when I was at school, yeah. it used to be like, oh, you're going to go and get a test and this is going to be the most painful thing in the world, blah, 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 blah. If you don't have a discharge, you put some urine in a cup and then go and get a blood test and that, that can be it. That's it. Yeah. 
I, it, I, I wee daily, so it, I guess that's <laughs> just part of my normal routine anyway, right. so I can fit that in. Easy. <laughs> you think about it and you're like, every three months, oh, that's quite an imposition. But if you're going to the doctor to just wee in a cup, it's really like, what, an hour at max out of your day. Yeah, and there's mm. there's a range of clinics that offer these. You can go to your GP if you're comfortable doing that. You can go to a dedicated sexual health clinic. You could go to a family planning clinic. But, you know, you can choose the environment that you're most comfortable. There's telehealth more available now. So sometimes if you have no mm. symptoms, having a chat with a clinician on the phone and working out a way, sometimes that's a more comfortable way to do it. So there are different options, mm. certainly. Mm. And are there some ways that we can reduce our risk of getting an STI or a bloodborne virus? Absolutely. Mm. So... I think everyone knows about condoms and there's the... Condoms, what are they? (laughs) (laughs) And so these barrier protections to reduce the contact between skin to skin and the contact with fluids. Um, There's what we often know as the external condom or the male condom, but there's actually also a female or internal condom uh, that can be used to help reduce transmission of infections. I've got so many questions. (laughs) Um, You've never seen one? No. But we can can show you a picture after. You can get them. Yeah. Yeah. I'm so intrigued. Um, But of course... There's vaccination against things like hepatitis B or, or getting your Gardasil vaccination when you're at school. I didn't even think about vaccinations um, as a... Um, yeah, mm. yep, so the, those methods. Um, if you're worried or think you might be at risk of HIV, thinking about getting on PrEP, or if you've got HIV, you know, being undetectable with your viral load so you can't transmit it to another person is another good method. And then, of course, all the things we've been discussing, getting your regular STI checks, getting treated, getting yep. telling those contact tracing so that you're not just transmitting it onto others is a great way to prevent. And a condom still the most, like, the most effective? I mean, they're not 100% effective, yeah. but is that still the, like, the thing? That's the advice, wear a condom? Condom is an easy thing that we can all access and, and, and is a barrier, a physical barrier for reducing your chance. Nothing's 100% and if you're having sex, you know, there's risk. But, um, yeah, it's, it's probably the easiest thing that one can do to reduce your chance of infection. Or you could use dental dams or dams as a barrier if you're having, say, oral sex to reduce the chance of transmission there. And if we are worried that we might have an STI or a bloodborne virus. What are some of the symptoms? I mean, as I said, a lot of STIs have no symptoms. Things mm. like chlamydia, which is a very common one we mentioned, would have no symptoms in about uh, 75% of women and no symptoms in about 50% of men. And we have even less data on our gender diverse and you know, um, trans There's a lot of people patients. walking around with So mm. there's STIs a lot of people who may not know. Symptoms that may come if you're one of those people with symptoms would be things like pain when you're passing urine. So it might mm-hmm. feel a bit like a bladder infection. Uh, discharge coming from the vagina that isn't like your normal discharge or penile from the penis or, or from the bottom, funny discharge. Pain mm. with sex. Rashes or sores or lumps, particularly in your genital area. Um, you know, all these things are pretty straightforward. But they could be signs of any STI or are there certain... Of course, there's certain STIs might present in different ways and mm. some can present in a variety of ways. So I think... So you can never really be too sure. It's just get a test. So if you've got symptoms, really good to get to a face-to-face consult. I feel like, you know, you, you, you and your friends are pretty comfortable to talk about STIs, but yeah. I think on the whole... There is still a bit of a stigma about mm. it. Why do you think we're so embarrassed about it? I feel like this stems back uh, all the way to probably even the way that sex education is taught in school. The classic example is, you know, males and females are split up and spoken mm. about uh, sex education in separate rooms. What's the thing um, that goes around on the internet? It's just like, 
if you get pregnant, your life's over. Oh, or yeah, 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 yeah. if you get, you know, all that kind you'll of get, stuff. You'll get pregnant and die. You'll get pregnant and yeah, you yeah, will yeah, die. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, and there's that sort of stigma around sex as a whole for the younger people that are just coming into themselves. They're learning about what sex is all about. Some of them are becoming sexually active and some of them are trying out all new and weird and wonderful things. And no one talks about it. Mm. And the classic example is also what that girl said at the very start of this episode where she said she felt like a slut for having had an STI, Mm. right? And I think that's the stigma behind it from such an early point that it does end up being that side of, well... It's not something that's kosher to discuss, mm. even though it is so normal. We're, we're almost still too afraid to talk about sex. So yeah. talking about STI seems like an even further yeah. jump. Yeah. Do you have any advice for people that are, you know, a bit embarrassed to go to their normal GP about mm. about their sexual health? Firstly, can I say I get it. I get that these things are really hard to talk about mm. and really hard to go into a clinical space sometimes and talk about it. And hopefully the clinician you see is aware of that too and can try to do their best to make it as comfortable as possible. Mm. I think if, as a clinician, if I'm not too stressed and nervous about it, I can come <laughs> the, the tone in the room and explain this is just a normal part of healthcare and this is what we've got to do. Mm. I think every part of it, it's a shared decision-making too. So know that you're not going to be examined without your consent or, you know, things might be suggested, but it's always your choice which way you go with things. Mm. Sometimes they're more comfortable seeing a GP that they've known their whole lives and sometimes mm-hmm. that's a bit harder to talk about these new parts of your life with someone who's known you since you were a kid. So sometimes mm. people choose to come where they're a bit more anonymous to a sexual health clinic or some, a family planning clinic so they can talk to someone who deals with these issues more specifically and, yeah. and away from that other part of their healthcare. The the anonymity, yeah. Sometimes yeah. helps. And also remembering that, you know, these consults are just like any other healthcare consultation. We are bound by confidentiality rules. Just because mm-hmm. I'm treating your mum on a different day does not mean I'll talk to her or that I can talk to her about what we mm. talk about in our consultation. Mm-hmm. So I think it's really important to know that in within those spaces in, with healthcare professionals, it should be a safe space and you should be able to be reassured about that and, and know that this is sort of private information and that we treat it just like any other part of healthcare. And One of the luxuries we have here in the city is like dedicated sexual health clinics. Mm. You don't have to go to a GP. Um, and obviously that's not the case for people in regional cities, but have you ever gone to a sexual health clinic rather than just a doctor? Yeah, I have actually the very first check I ever got, you know, I think it was around, around the age of 18 or 19 or something like that. Mm. It was at, in Wollongong. It was a I remember it was actually a really weird, strange building in the middle of nowhere. And then I met this guy who was uh, the, I don't actually know what his role was, but he was the one that was guiding me through it, talking me through it. Now, this is my first thing. And my stepdad came with me. Wow. Yep. First time he found out that I'd had sex as well. So it was sort of like this big learning curve for both of us. And he felt really uncomfortable in this um, uh, sexual health clinic. It was really funny. Anyway, the guy who was working there gave me just such a great understanding of everything. Mm. He walked me through, very similarly to what you have as well, like he's just walked me through X, Y, and Z. This is what will happen. Stop stressing. If you do have something, this is how easy it is to get rid of them. Basically what was mentioned before, you know, chlamydia is the most common one. It's one course of antibiotics and out the door. Mm. You know, and it was those sort of reassuring moments. And I actually really valued that Mm. at such a young age as well because I was given... A bit more of an education. Yeah, yeah, an education on like, yeah. you know, the normality of it all. Sometimes when you go to a GP, I find it's just a little bit more transactional. It's just a little bit more like, 
here's a cup, off you go. You know, you've got to find a, a doctor, a GP that's like understands you if you're mm. gender diverse or you're queer. Yeah. You know, where, where I feel like those sexual health clinics are a bit more accessible for people that have different... Yeah, although there are certainly amazing GPs out there. Oh, yeah. It just, it's, it's it, you know, finding where what their interest area is and <laughs> yeah. what their skills are too and... and um, but, yeah, I, you hope that people leave and, and sometimes people do voice that, oh, it's not as bad as I thought and, and yeah. I'm really reassured by you what like you've told me. and that's, dust your shoulders off like, yes, I've nailed Well, it. that's, you know, the joy of the job when you do it well, hey, is yeah. that, you know, sometimes people come in with something that they've been managing on their own for a long period of time and stressing over and worrying and they couldn't tell anyone their life so there's so much stigma. Mm. You know, those sort of empowering moments that people look after their sexual health just like any other part of their health. Um, and if you do have an STI or a blood-borne virus, what's your responsibility to your sexual partner or your future sexual, par- sexual partners? Mm. Do you have to tell them? So part of the responsibility of the healthcare worker talking through your results and giving you treatment options is to talk to you about contact tracing. Mm-hmm. Contact tracing? Like, oh, not again. <laughs> COVID has taught us all a lot about public health measures. But, yes, so talking to you about telling partners and depending on which infection you've got, that may involve, you know, some recommendations to talk to partners from... X many months ago. Um, but part of that clinician's role is also talking to you about a way that should be safe and comfortable for you and mm-hmm. feel okay. There are, as you mentioned before, anonymous ways to do it online, let, yep. let them know, the drama down under, there's a few of them, and there's ways you can send people a message just like you mm-hmm. receive saying, look, you've been exposed to something, go and get tested, and you've done your duty then. Otherwise, you know, it can be a really positive experience to text someone or call someone that you know or send someone a personal message on socials if that's the way you're in contact with them to let them know, hey, look, this has happened. Mm. Good to get checked because really you're doing it out of concern for their safety and health yeah. and also to stop them giving it to the next person or giving it back to you. So it, it is something it can be hard to do. Sometimes it's really difficult to do, but working out, you know, if there is a, a safe way to do it, it really makes a big difference mm. to stop the cycle in the community of these infections going around. And it's the mature thing to do as well. I think well, so too. You know, yeah. If you're like, old enough to have sex, you're old enough to tell someone that you've got a STI. Yeah, and that's the that goes back to what I said before about the normalising it. Mm. Um, on the other end of that spectrum, if you had an STI, mm. would you tell that person before sleeping with them? Are we talking about one that we can't treat first? Um... Like what? If you've got, say, chlamydia, for instance, mm. it's usually a good idea to get that treated before you sleep with someone. That's what I was thinking, um, yeah. uh, Ideally. And, you know, wait the period after treatment so that there's really not that chance of transmitting it to the next person. Mm. So some STIs, it would, you know, recommend the treatment, avoid sex for a bit of time and then you could mm-hmm. again and save. Um, but if you've got an STI that there's treatments available but not necessarily a cure, so something like herpes virus, then certainly you know, I guess it's a consideration and thinking about how you talk to people, future Mm. partners about that um, ideal world before you have sex with them. Um, Alternatively, looking at the other, all the ways you can minimise risk wearing condoms and doing all those things that, you Mm. you know, to reduce that chance of transmission, not having sex if you've got sores. But, you know, and it can be really hard, but I think sometimes uh, when people have done it a few times, they realise it's not the end of their sex lives and it's a you know, people find ways to talk about it that normalises it, mm. helps the other person understand and, and make, you know, form calls to keep everyone safe in mm. the situation. Uh, Jack, we don't often see in reality television how contestants are supported to look after their sexual health, whether that's uh, a screening process beforehand or mm-hmm. if you are having sex with your co-contestant. Co- yeah. 
Uh, Who contestant? Interesting. Are they? Are you contestants? I don't know. I don't know. Um, you know, if there are any safe sex prevention methods on the show, mm-hmm. did you learn anything or get taught anything as part of the show? Okay, so part of the process to pass your medical to go onto the show, there was a an full STI test. STI test. Yep. Wow. Blood work and uh, penis cup. Uh, I had to get the whole screen. Also, they were very, very positive on making sure that you had everything available to you so that there would be nothing to stop you having sex. So when we got to the rooms um, that we were first put in, there was condoms there. I'm pretty sure our producer gave us a box of condoms, like, on the wedding day. So, like, like they know that you're going to have sex. Essentially. Yeah. Well, at the end of the day, that's, you know, it's a show that's based around relationships. People have sex when they're in a relationship, and that's yeah. sort of what naturally occurs. Yeah. So... Me and my partner did have sex and we had an abundance of, well, there was a big box and it was filled with... It was empty when you left, was it? Very empty when I left. <laughs> um, but no, it was filled with a whole bunch of sex toys. But also, you know, there were things like condoms and there was this little book that had... What was it? That had Kama a Sutra, like positions. There was that as well. But then there was also this like other book which had like tear off. Like every time you tried something, you would tear it off and... Put it away, wow. and oh, that was very strange. Yeah, but um, coming into the show, the other main thing that they did for us was they sat us down and had a huge discussion. With it was like a briefing day, and part of that briefing day was basically saying, "Look, you've all had medicals, you're all clean, blah 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 blah. Please ensure that you, if you are going to have sex, a it's consensual, b you are practicing safe sex, and if you're not." I can't wait for there to be the first maths baby. I'm like a quote unquote, <laughs> that is what was said on the show. But yeah, the, the fact is that uh, you were essentially clean as a whistle walking in. Mm. I feel like that's a word that we need to like get out of our vernacular, isn't it? The clean? Yes. Yeah, yeah. It, Interesting. I mean, because it ca- it, I think it comes up a lot in mm. my side of the community, mm. Jack. I, I think it can be challenging, if, particularly if someone's been diagnosed with an STI that, say, has treatments. It's not necessarily really harmful to your health, but it's frustrating, like mm. genital warts or herpes or something like that. Mm. And and the sense then that you're not clean is a really challenging thing and adds to the stigma and adds to the shame that someone might feel when actually these things are really common mm. and they're not usually the shame far outweighs the medical consequences of those particular infections. Mm. Um, so, you know, and, and for people feeling positive in their bodies and, and themselves as well, I think the, the clean thing is a hard, it's a hard one. I have learnt something yeah. today. You're welcome. Noted. Thank you very much. <laughs> um, I think that's a really cool thing that you just said, that the, the shame and the stigma often outweighs the medical imposition of having these yeah, things. Yeah, wow. 100%. It's, you know, often when I'm telling someone they've got an STI, the treatment is the easy part. Yeah. You know, there's treatments for everything. Mm-hmm. It's not the end of the world. These things are super common. It's real you know, life. It's, 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 it happens. It's, but I think, yeah, absolutely, the shame sometimes makes people feel like the world's ending and actually it's fine. You'll mm-hmm. be fine. And there's things we can do. And there's treatments for pretty much all of them. Yeah. So there's, as I said, not cures for everything, the but there's treatments yep. available yeah. and there's things we can offer for no matter which situation you're in. And part of the reason why checking for STIs is really important is that over time you can have complications from STIs. So it may not seem like a big deal that that caller had chlamydia and she got rid of it with some easy antibiotic treatment, but she got onto it quickly. Mm. Um, If you have chlamydia, say, for many years, you might have troubles getting pregnant one day. Mm. You might get chronic pelvic pain. You know, there are these, you know, high risk of ectopic pregnancy or pregnancy issues. So there are things that might affect you down the track, Mm. um, really important health consequences 
causes. If you've got HIV and you're not on treatment, it's not great for your health. Most things are better to know about so you can look after your body and your health moving forward. Mm, yeah. Great. I think I said this before I came in and we were discussing this. I feel like I'm back in school and I'm just like in a little classroom learning from you two a little bit. It's just great. I well, love this. More so us learning from Dr. Claire. Yeah, both of us. Yeah. yeah. Do you have any other questions for Claire while she's off the Medicare record? <laughs> off the Medicare record. Look, I was actually really curious. One of the things you mentioned just then was, you know, these um, different variations of sexual health, you know, whatever you call them. This is the one that blood got me. Bloodborne viruses. Bloodborne virus. Okay. So STI and bloodborne virus, a bloodborne virus being like HIV and things mm-hmm. like that. STIs being pretty much everything else on the spectrum. STIs are the infections that get transmitted through sexual contact. Mm-hmm. Um, bloodborne viruses are primarily transmitted through sort of blood to blood contact. And there are some infections that are both. So things like HIV can okay. be transmitted through the sexual fluids, but also blood to blood contact. So they've often grouped together or spoken about a bit together and sometimes right. tested together because you might catch, a, a, you know, one through sex um, yep. that might fit into both groups. What's an example that's not HIV? Mm. Uh, hepatitis. Oh, syphilis? No. A blunt form virus, more of the hepatitis. Hepatitis C is oh, really sure, blood. Sure, sure, Hep B yeah, might yeah. fit into both groups. Okay, yeah, yeah. yeah. Is that what is syphilis again? What is that one? Is that the one that affects your brain as well? It can. So it's a bacterium, and it, it's it's been around for a, you go into history books and syphilis was there. So mm. it's, it's stood the test of time, and it's making a bit of a resurgence actually at the moment. Really? So it's an important one to be aware of. Um, and yeah, it often isn't particularly exciting when someone first contracts it. They might get an ulcer that isn't painful or anything. It's just there. That's a spot that you might not notice. Um, But if it's left untreated, it it can, you know, affect multiple organs and parts of your body Mm. um, and and further down the track affect things like your nerves, the hearing, all sorts of things. It's one of those uh, infections that can do so so many different things and mimic things. It's it's not great in pregnancy. And so it's it's an easy thing to test for and treat for. So another good one to go and get your STI checks for. Honestly, every time someone brings it up, it like the fear just overtakes my body. I'm but, feeling that right now. No, no, no. But also in the same breath, the, the thing that counteracts the fear of that is going and getting tested. Mm. If you're worried about it, like I, or, you just brought it up now. I'm like going to go get a test because I'm like, it just, I don't want that. But we've got some antibiotics that we can treat it with. Exactly. So we get a test yeah, exactly. and we get rid of it. Exactly. Yeah. 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 And the, I think that's the most interesting thing about sexual health as a broad sort of topic is it's also treatable or in manageable. either manageable yeah. or treatable or, you know, whatever the correct terminology is. Sorry, wouldn't believe it, but I am... Not one, a doctor. Not a doctor. <laughs> <laughs> um, I just went on a TV show once. <laughs> but I think it's so interesting and that really needs to be the um, at the forefront of people's minds when they are going to get tested. It's like you're going to get tested because if there's something wrong, they can sort it out or yeah. they can help you manage it. We can it. do yeah. something about it. It's yeah. not just to know and, and to shame you. No, yeah. you can do something about it and keep you healthy and keep your partners healthy. And, yeah. and The stigma is fixed by getting a test, which sounds like the most silliest thing, but it's like the answer to the problem is knowledge. Yeah, and getting onto it. And, mm. and the more you do these things, I'm sure, you know, the more we practice these things and the more we get comfortable talking about them, the yeah. less of a big deal they really are and should be. And yeah. you do get used to, I mean, like for, for, I remember the first one I went to with that, uh, the sexual health clinic, I was freaking out. Mm. You know, I was like, oh my God, what's going on? I was quite young, you know, naive. You have no idea what's going to happen. No, nowadays it's just like general checkup. We in a cup. It's great. Um, Claire, why is it important that we continue to talk about STIs? 
I think I've I've sort of alluded to it. They can cause long-term problems. Mm-hmm. They can affect your health. They can affect the health of those that you care about or that you're in relationships with. And I think if we're not talking about it, the stigma can grow and the embarrassment can grow. It becomes the elephant in the room sometimes. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the more we're talking about it, the more it's less of a big deal. There's not those barriers to getting tested mm-hmm. and treatment, mm-hmm. which just make it less common in the community and something we all don't have to deal with quite as much, which would be I, the be- end goal, hey? <laughs> well, you'd be out of a job. <laughs> <laughs> There might be other things you know, in sexual health I could do, but yes, look, we, we need to be comfortable talking about these things and it would be nice to have lot much lower rates and complications to deal with. Mm. Um, well, thank you both so much for joining me. I feel like Jack and I have learnt a lot. Well, there you go. Another episode of Talking Frank. I'm sure that you learned something. As always, thank you to Alice, Jack and Dr. Claire for sharing their stories and their expertise. Now, if you want more information, you can go to frank.org.au or give the Family Planning Australia talk line a buzz or there's some extra information in the show notes below. To be frank, though, I think we should all go out and get tested. Go on.